Hello, barbecue people. Welcome to Pitmaster, an old Virginia smoke podcast. I am your host, Luke Darnell. Barbecue brings people together from all around the country and the world, and people that you've only known for a short time become great friends, and you can also learn from everybody in the barbecue community. And our guest today is no different. I've learned a lot from him, and I know that he's learned a lot from others because he enjoys those type of conversations. Our next guest is Charles Cridlin from Wolf's Revenge Barbecue. Charles has been the best pit master in the Mid-Atlantic over the past three years, very consistent, and has won numerous awards nationally, and has also had great success at the American Royal and other big competitions around the country. So please join me in welcoming Charles Cridlin. Well, welcome to the show, Charles. It's great to have you on. Sir, thank you for having me. Uh, there are a lot of good cooks out there. I'm surprised, not surprised, but I'm flattered that you asked me to join. In my estimation, you're one of the most consistent cooks over the past three years, and you've really torn it apart here in the Mid-Atlantic. But I have to be honest with you, when I think about you and cooking, barbecue does not come to mind. The first thing that comes to mind with you is Brunswick stew. Can you tell us a little bit about the Brunswick stew? Sure. Brunswick stew is where I got my start in, I guess, feeding crowds and uh, really jumped in my culinary uh, spirit. When I was in college, my roommate had an uncle that was from Lawrenceville, which is Brunswick County, Virginia. His mother would go down every time the Lawrenceville Volunteer Fire Department would have a stew cooking and she would bring back several quarts and I would get, you know, uh, three or four of those quarts. When you're in college, you can sit down and eat one of those things as a meal. I mean, it's just fantastic. Got to the point where I started making the trips down there myself to Lawrenceville. And, you know, you do a two hour drive down there and you cook all day and come back and you're lucky if there's a couple quarts left over. And that was your payment for driving all the way down and all the way back. So at some point in time, the uh, University of Virginia and the Virginia Folklife Foundation got wind of uh, the fundraisers that we were doing. Uh, they picked us up. They did a documentary on it. And that got us into the Virginia Folklife Festival, then the National Folklife Festival, then the World Folklife Festival up at the Smithsonian. And eventually it got me a spot right between Chris Lilly and Mike Mills at the, what was that? Uh, it's in New York, uh, the Big Apple Barbecue. Mm -hmm. And I think it was like 2006 or 2007. So myself and one trailer and a couple of the guys that I cook with went up there and I'm between Mike Mills and Chris Lilly and I'm going back and forth because I'd never seen barbecue before like this. And it, uh, over that course of that weekend, I made some friends and the rest is history. So Brunswick stew was my start to barbecue. Well, I know that several times I've had the I've had the pleasure of you giving me a few quarts of it. And I mean, it is, it's something we put it in the freezer and it gets earmarked for a day. I mean, like it, it's a, it's definitely a, <laughs> it's an occasion. And especially when it has brisket in it, that's when it's my favorite. <laughs> I tell everybody that, you know, we may not have the best recipe. I've got over 300 Brunswick Sioux recipes I've collected over the years, but we make it the same way. And we've got a huge following. We do about 10,000 quarts a year for different churches and charities and, well, we've got a very loyal following, and I don't change the recipe for that reason. But when I do the beef stew, uh, that beef stew that you get, and I'm getting ready to make another one here in a couple of weeks, by the way, is the leftover Wagyu brisket that we get. You know, when I do all the trimming, nothing gets thrown away. So we take that, I put it in the smoker, I put it in the jambo and get some smoke on it with some pecan or something that, you know, I find appealing. 
throw it in the pot with the same ingredients that we use to make our chicken-based Brunswick stew, and that goes out to friends and family. I have yet to sell a quart. I just give it away. Yeah, oh, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> well, let's get into it, because this is an interview that I've been looking forward to a lot in terms of you're the guy out there that if somebody needs something, you most likely have it. And that comes from experience, but it also comes from the way that you approach things. So what do you think has been one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made in competition barbecue? I'd have to think about time savers when I think about the way you asked that question. And uh, my injection process that used to take me a very long time for those that are in competition barbecue. And you think about when you inject and, you know, are you creating pockets of injection? Are you getting it evenly distributed? It's a, it's a process. I don't know how long it takes you to inject things. Oh, actually, I've seen you inject stuff before because I've taken your class not once but twice. And by the way, both very worthwhile classes and I pay to take it again. I enjoy seeing talent, somebody that's talented, you know, and how they approach things. But I've got an automatic injector and I found that people either absolutely love them or absolutely hate them. It's a veterinary supply one. I think it costs like $30. And I found that it wasn't worth a darn if I did not filter my injections and get the particulates out of there. So Bodum, B-O-D-U-M, makes a pour-over coffee maker. And all of my injections, after I make them, I uh, pour them through this coffee maker. It's got a wire screen. It's got a pretty fine mesh in it. Use a spoon to stir it to get everything out through there. And anything that's solid stays in. Anything that goes through goes out. That $23 uh, coffee maker uh, has probably saved me maybe an hour or two for every competition because I can just go right from one injection to the next I don't have to worry about my automatic injector clogging up. And if I'm not worried about that and I'm getting a, a really nice spread, you know, when you talk about stitch injecting and getting everything in there, not only is it a time saver, I think it makes for a better quality and what I'm uh, going to give the judges because the injection is better evenly distributed. Yeah, no, that's a great tip right out the gate. I see, and I knew that this was going to be full of these type of little 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 nuggets of just awesomeness. And it's one of those things, you know, we all have the different things that we do when we approach a cook. And how much do you depend on technology and your approach to your cook? Are there, I know that there's a lot involved with your cooker to maybe talk about that a little bit. So I use a rotisserie and that's a plus and a minus because with a rotisserie, things are moving around. Uh, you're getting some convection from the product moving in there. I cook everything in pans. So I don't get any benefit of one product dripping onto the other. Uh, I also can't use uh, probes. You know, I can't use uh, wired thermometers like from Thermoworks, the chef alarms and stuff. Yeah, they just wrap themselves around uh, the rotisserie if I did that. Uh, on the one hand, uh, it gives me the opportunity that I can load it up with charcoal, put my flavor wood in there, and I can get a couple hours sleep, which is really important when it's just you know myself and one other person and I've got to work on Thursdays. I usually wake up really early on Friday to get to a competition. But on the other hand, that rotisserie, it allows me to sleep. It allows for a great product uh, and great flavor. I know that uh, for your catering, you cook on old hickories. Uh, and mine, my rotisserie is based of the, off the old hickory ultra Q. It's just wider, deeper, more insulation, bigger charcoal basket, bigger water pan, and the rotisserie. So, you know, it gives me that flavor that I'm looking for. You know, the way that it cooks and everything is, you know, exactly what you'd expect from a cabinet design that was based off of the uh, old hickory CTO. But at the same time, I'm limited because I can't, uh, unless I stop the rotisserie and uh, then put a probe in it, 
you've got to pay attention to your your product and kind of anticipate when you things you think things are going to start to get ready. Right, right. And that leads a lot into, you know, there's a lot of decisions that we make when we first start out. What were some of the best decisions that you made when you first started competing? Taking a class. My, my first competition, you know, was under the name of Big C, Stu, and Q. And that, that was the name of the team when I first started out. <laughs> I'm calling <laughs> you that from now on. Big C's, yeah. Somewhere on my website, you can find a picture of our logo uh, way back when. And uh, just a little history. Uh, so uh, there was a picture of a Wilma Flintstone-looking character holding a big rack of ribs with a smoker. I had a Lang at the time, a Lang 60. And the caption in the back uh, was Big C, Stu, and Q, more than a mouthful. And I had it trademarked uh, because... Hooters had given up more than a mouthful and, you know, it was there for the taking. I took it. I got it. I probably still own it. And uh, went with that for a couple of years. I think uh, 2008, 2009, you know, around those, uh, when we started using it. And we were at a McShen uh, cook-off and we're in a church parking lot. And my goddaughters are all running around in big C's more than a mouthful. The uh, mothers of the godkids did not like that at all. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, they're just, you know, the double entendre, as common as it is in the barbecue world. And we see that in the genre every day, these, those double entendres. It wasn't flying with them. So I looked at my godson and I said, hey, Reynolds, I said, we got to come up with a new name. Otherwise, you guys aren't going to be allowed to compete with me anymore. I said, what are we going to call ourselves? And he says, well, we need something with a wolf where the wolf gets his revenge. And boom, Wolf's Revenge was born out of that. Going back to, you know, the, uh, the things that I would have done differently. Uh, cooking on uh, a Lang reverse flow, uh, as great as that cooker was, uh, and, you know, we got our first chicken call with it right out of the gate at uh, one of Bill Small's Small Country Campground. Uh, it was in chicken, fifth place. That was back when we used to use Newman's Italian dressing to put the chicken in and then just put it on. <laughs> we didn't even know to trim it. We just put it in a bag, shake it up, leave it there a couple hours and cook it. And we got a call, fifth place chicken. Found out that when you got an, a reverse flow and offset cooker and you got to feed that thing every 25 or 30 minutes, you start running out of friends that are willing to stay out with you all night when you start taking things seriously. <laughs> if you're not feeding them drinks at the same time they're feeding that thing uh, wood. And well, we were a party team at that time. We weren't taking it that seriously. We were there to have fun. Uh, but the competitive side started to show through. And we were all just exhausted by the end of the day because we stayed up all night. So having a timeline with some time to sleep built into it. I, I went to a cabinet smoker because, you know, I saw how guys were doing with uh, the backwoods and things like that and knew that you could get a really good product off of it. You were using uh, backwoods, uh, you know, as far back as I can remember and had amazing results with it. Choosing equipment that was friendly to operate, easy for your friends to uh, work with if you have to have them. And an offset takes a considerable amount of skill to keep a clean fire. So that was be one taking a class. Uh, the first class I took was with Rub uh, Bagby and uh, Dan Hickson down in Florida. A great class. Uh, two great pit masters. I uh, learned a lot from them. Dan was cooking on a backwoods, I think, at that point in time. I don't remember what Rub was cooking on. He had a big smoker there because they were feeding a large crowd of people. It kind of, you know, clued me in uh, that classes were important. You're not going to be able to get I can shake and look over my shoulder and try to see what you're doing all day long, uh, but not understanding uh, what uh, is really going on uh, in the overall scheme of your timeline really makes a, it does you more detriment than it does, does you good. So yeah. have a cooker that's friendly to your timeline, build in some sleep to your timeline because that's important and uh, start taking some classes, especially from pit masters that use equipment similar to what you're going to be cooking on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that a hundred percent. I think, 
uh, one of the first times that, or was the only time that I went to King of the Smokers, and I think it might have been your first time as well uh, when we were out there. And I noticed that there were only there was only two or three teams that were out there in the middle of the night doing things, and you and I were two of them. And I kind of had a reckoning with myself that day, like, okay, if these other twenty-two teams are not out here and don't even have fires lit, then maybe there's a different way to do this and get some sleep. So that was kind of how I, how I switched to the Jambo. I was like, okay, there's a lot to, lot to learn here. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit because you're not only a very accomplished cook in both barbecue and Brunswick stew and everything, but you're also very successful in, in your life and other things that you do. How is your career slash life experiences outside of barbecue prepared you to be the successful pitmaster that you are? So my day job, I do computers for a living. I help manage data centers and everything we do has to be documented. Uh, there's a process. You create a document for what you're getting ready to do. You follow that document. Uh, you have to make sure that, you know, once you're done, you follow it up. If any changes uh, that were made, that uh, those were done. So it's a habit that I got into and we all have our book, right? That we, have our recipes and our timelines and things in and in my day job we call that a run book I don't know what you call yours uh, but in, in in my barbecue trailer I call mine a run book too it has absolutely everything in there that I need to do the, the big marks to make sure I have a successful cook for me to come out of a computer data center uh, and have a book that describes you know what time I need to start my process where I need to be, having metrics in there that, okay, if something is at a certain temperature at a certain time, these are the steps I need to do to make sure that I don't miss my mark when that product is ready. I have to say that building in some good habits with consistency and being able to follow that run book has, I think, I don't want to say giving me an edge uh, because there are a lot of distractions out there that pull you away. It could be anything from distributing scotch eggs to, you know, somebody showing up at your trailer, you know, late at night with a, a beverage of some kind. We all know how that happens. <clears throat> the distractions are still there, but that book has a way of getting me back on path and keeping me on path until after the turn-ins are done. Yeah. I, we call it a timeline and because I'm the most disorganized person in the world, the other person on my team, the little general, she takes care of that. So, uh, but she does a great job. One of the things that always happens out there is inevitable is that something goes wrong or we fail somewhere. Do you have a favorite failure of yours that, that helped you set you up for later success? Something that you did that was wrong that really helped you learn? Yeah, absolutely. So Sunny's in Florida, the last one that they had several years ago, I had a really bad cold going into it. Uh, it was uh, myself and Randy and of all the people that we picked up, uh, Mike Bastin on the way down from Smoking Gringos, uh, talking about having a distraction in your trailer. So I uh, love the guy, but uh, still a distraction nonetheless. We get down there in between lack of sleep, the cold, cold medicine, and an adult beverage or two. I slept through my two o'clock alarm where I light my fire, my three o'clock alarm where I put my food on the pit, my four o'clock alarm where I check to make sure the pit's rock, uh, operating on temperature. Finally at 5.30 in the morning, I wake up, sit straight up and realize that I hadn't done a thing. And Randy and Mike were on their way back from the hotel uh, to help me wrap all my meats. <laughs> Life is good. Uh, Don uh, from Life is Good Barbecue. Don Wallace, he was yeah. Yeah, he was next to me. 
He said that he swore that he saw me at 5.45 in the morning trying to jumpstart a locomotive. I was shoveling coals into my smoker so fast trying to get it up temperature. It's the first time I've run my pit uh, between 450 and 500 degrees uh, for as long as I did. By the time Mike and Randy showed up, because I told them just to go back to sleep, don't come back for two hours. Mike, when he got there, we opened up the smoker. And this is before I started trimming my brisket down to box size. It was still a full width flat. And it curled up on the edges, and it looked like a giant black taco. Uh, it was just horrid looking. But, you know, uh, we managed a perfect, perfect in ribs that day. Uh, we got first place in the 180 in brisket that day. We did well in chicken. And uh, had it not been for the choices, you know, I felt like I had to put money muscle in the box. You know, I'm, I made bad choices of what we put into that box, and we didn't do great in pork. Otherwise, uh, we might have cleaned up from that whole competition. We still finished, I think, 14th overall, but with two first places, our very first perfect, perfect in ribs, it made me realize that there, there's always a way to get to your end result. And just because your timeline didn't work for you in the beginning doesn't mean that you can't catch up. And you know, Travis Clark has had those stories. There's been more than one time where he's won a competition where he's uh, talked about him sleeping through an alarm. It's not a proud moment, and I can tell you that uh, it doesn't feel good when you wake up and you realize that you're in an invitational with uh, the top pit masters from, I mean, Darren Worth was there. We had, you know, the best pit masters from across the country, and here I am, 5.30 in the morning, and haven't even lit the smoker. Yeah, that taught me a lot that uh, it, uh, and Tuffy's got a saying uh, that uh, I've adopted, it's all in how you handle catastrophes. So I... That right there taught me to just, you know, when something goes wrong, just calm down. There's always time to make it better. Yep. No, that's a great story. That's a great story. It's not the first time I've heard it, and it always amazes me how you can just come back from that. That's that's great stuff. I like to say all the time that you're like Kim's brother because I call her Olivia Catherine Darnell, OCD, and you're uh-huh. you're you're just as OCD as her. And so what does your competition planning look like a week out from the competition and how do you organize all of that? All right. So having a day job and trying to keep things balanced uh, at first is very important and having a social life. And I don't want to completely strike myself out from not being able to spend time with my God kids and things like that. Sunday, I I clean everything out of the barbecue trailer. Everything that's got to go in the dishwasher goes in the dishwasher. All the rubs, bottles and everything come inside and I make sure, if nothing else, um, that all the rubs are done on Sunday night and all the dishes are ready to go back into the barbecue trailer. That's, that's Sunday. Those are the things that have to happen. On Monday, I make my sauces. I have found that uh, I can make my sauces, and I'm, I'm blending commercial sauces and doing things myself, things that I've learned over the years. I can make those sauces six or eight weeks in advance, and I generally do better. I don't know if it has anything to do with the sauces, but if it's the beginning of the month, I'm going to go ahead and make my sauces for the entire month right then and there and just have them sitting in the bottom of the refrigerator so I don't have to worry about that the next week or the week after. Hmm. Tuesday night is social night. Uh, that's where, you know, if it's a date, if it's uh, hanging out with my god kids or going out to dinner or something like that, I give myself a break on Tuesday. Wednesday night is trimming chicken, brisket, and ribs. That way, all I have to do on Thursday night is make my injections, take everything and put it in the barbecue trailer and, you know, make sure the charcoal and the wood and everything else are in there so that I'm ready to pull out of the driveway at whatever time we have to leave Friday morning. That schedule is, you know, unless it's a double, if it's the only thing I'm going to change on that is if it's a double on Tuesday, I'm going to go ahead and trim all my chicken because as OCD as you like to call it, 
You buy, it takes me two and a half hours to trim or to find the 12 chicken thighs that I want. I might trim 24. I'm only going to take the 12 that I want. If it's double, I have to do that process twice. And I might as well write off six hours uh, just for chicken that week. Yeah. Yeah. Chicken trimming. I've always, yeah, it's, it's the devil's work. (laughs) You still use the same song that uh, you uh, did before. Yeah. You had a favorite song that you uh, played whenever you were trimming chicken. No, I had a chicken movie. No, it was a movie. It was a movie. That was it. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. I would always watch, it's the Bradley Cooper chef movie called Burnt. Yep. Great movie. Yeah. It's a great movie, but he's just so over the top and just so exacting with every detail that I feel like he's yelling at me while I'm trimming chicken. So it really pushes me to make sure that I'm finding those pieces and getting them exactly right. Yeah, that's that's funny that you remember that. That's uh, yeah, I still do that to this day. It's just it motivates me. Still does. I've seen that movie a hundred times now, and it so, still keeps me going. And so, so for me, I turn it on the the uh, comedy network, and it's either going to be The Big Bang Theory running in the background or American Dad. Uh, you know, which whether it's Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, whichever you know series they have running. More, uh, you know, just to have some sound going because I, I don't want anybody in the house. I don't want friends coming over. I just want to be left alone with me and my chicken and something running in the background uh, so I can get through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned music. So do you listen to music when you're cooking or what kind of music do you listen to? Uh, yeah, absolutely. All right. So Randy, uh, he's got uh, our playlists. And uh, first, I got to say that, uh, you know, uh, with all the COVID concerns and everything else, uh, Randy and Barry are both at home taking care of their families and limit their exposure going out. It's been a very different year for me and uh, having to have friends volunteer, uh, doing a lot more things for myself at home, you know, like loading up the truck, getting everything ready before I go out of town, driving myself. That's really impacted my uh, performance, I think, because I'm the one that wakes up at four o'clock in the morning and drives where I'm used to Randy's showing up so I can sleep for four hours while he's driving. Yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, not having uh, Randy and his playlist, I finally had to uh, sign up for Spotify. And in the evenings, I'm going to pick a country artist. I'm trying to think of a good example. Start off with uh, chicken fried, Zach Brown. I'll start off with chicken uh, with the Zach Brown and just kind of let it go. In the mornings, I need something a little bit more high energy. Uh, I'll pick up uh, Spotify or Kid Rock. And uh, whatever goes along with those uh, to get me rolling and get me uh, through the morning. Right on. It sets the pace. Yeah. 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 So what other habits or rituals or routines do you have during competitions? I think we're all familiar with the scotch eggs. Yeah. And I I miss that routine. And got to be honest with you, you know, I'm kind of at the point where I kind of want to add it back. All it takes is one incident and somebody to point their finger and say, well, you know, I mean, Charles ran around and gave everybody scotch eggs. So, you know, must be okay to do this. must be okay to that. So uh, given some of the other positions I hold, trying to lead by example, uh, not having the scotch eggs on there. I love that because uh, it's different. It gives us an opportunity when you're in a trailer and you're kind of locked up and not being social because you're not out there with everybody else where people can come up and say hi gives us an opportunity to go out and be social either at the 922 toast or just to go out and uh, uh, see everybody obviously not shake hands right now other routines that we have so if you know uh, brad dupont from koshan 225 and ronnie's uh, boudin and cracklin yeah i I order i order his uh, kolaches which are uh, little 
French bread cakes stuffed with boudin. I always had those on the trailer in the freezer, so I'll put a couple of those in when I first wake up. By the time it's uh, we're wrapping things, they're ready to go, and that gives us a great brisket. Sometimes I'll throw a couple extra on there and bring, uh, bring those to other teams that are comfortable with me bringing food into their trailer. Uh, that's definitely one of our rituals, if you will, to cook those in the morning. Those are the two big ones that come to mind. I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of others that people will point out to me. I will <laughs> say that, uh, you know, when I've got somebody cooking with me, uh, I give them clear instructions. Of, uh, George, for example, uh, with Twisted Pear, when he was cooking with me, when he's got that run book in front of, front of him, he's going to look at it, and it's, let's say it's 6.15. He's going to ask me, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? He's going to look back at six o'clock. He's going to ask me if I did what I was supposed to do. And he's going to look forward at 630 and he's going to say, are you prepared to do what you're supposed to do at 630? And that process repeats itself every 15 minutes. Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you ready to do the next thing? And did you do what you were supposed to do before? When I'm tired, that's about the only way I can stay on track is having somebody just constantly, you know, I told them, don't feel bad about asking me the same thing three times. If you're not satisfied that I didn't do it the way I was supposed to, then it's not his job to make sure I stay on task, but he's that reminder to make sure that I don't miss things. Yeah, no, that's great stuff. That is, that I have one of those in my trailer too. I don't ask for it, but I get it. So I have a bunch of questions. They all around are around who has impacted your life the most in barbecue and whose counsel do you seek when you have a barbecue issue? I think those all kind of tie together for you. Is that, is that a fair statement? Uh, they, you know, I've, I've had a lot of influences over the years. I am still, sometimes the smallest things that people tell me just resonate in my mind and have become part of my program. We'll go back to uh, when I took Myron's class and, you know, he, He's the only class uh, where, uh, that I've taken that they actually teach you how to mix different sauces. And one of his sauces, the tangy sweet, I still use that today, or he calls it the hog glaze. Uh, that recipe has not changed since I took that back, I think, in 2011 or 2012. It's still part of my program today. Uh, Jerry Stevenson, uh, you know, and this is you know, probably 2013, 2014. He made a comment one time, you know, that uh, when you're making a sauce, you need to start out with a gastric, and he explained that to me. And, you know, I incorporated that into what I do, and I still do that today. Uh, I don't know if he even remembers telling me that, or maybe I misunderstood what he was trying to tell me, but I think it's an important part of my program. And for those that don't know, I only bring one sauce to a competition. I bring 32 ounces of the same sauce that I use on my chicken and my rib. Uh, my pork, I mentioned the other day that I also, you know, when I put it on my brisket, I find that the less sauce I use on brisket, the better I seem to do. Uh, so, but when I do use it, there's only one sauce I bring and I'm trying to uh, keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, cooking with Tuffy Stone, obviously that's probably been the most beneficial and the biggest influence, not only because, you know, he is a legend in my mind and I re- obviously respect him a heck of a lot, but he's the one that got me to stop following the timeline as, uh, or, or got me to make the departure that, you know, start cooking the food, stop following the timeline. The food's going to tell you when it's done. The food's going to tell you when it's time to wrap and uh, being able to dial in on what something is supposed to feel like when it's done, as opposed to, yep, 230 degrees, it's time to take it out. So yeah, he's obviously been a really big influence and there have been more than one occasion where I'm coming back from a competition and he's looking at the scores online and I'm looking at the score in my hand, Randy's driving, and we're you know going back through 
what happened, why we think we've got the results we did, and what we're going to do next time to make sure that uh, we bring those scores back up. It's always great to have those post-conversations in the car ride home. That's one of my my routines is I have a list of like four or five people that I'll call or or I look at the score sheet and see who else got screwed and be like, I got to call that guy and be like, hey, man, what happened? You and I have had those conversations. Oh, absolutely. You like, know, uh, did your chicken suck today? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> this year, there haven't been as many people to call. I mean, everybody's you know got their own things going on. And you know, obviously, I can't look at the score sheet when I'm driving back because I am driving back. This year's been really different. It's been very, I mean, I, I already told you that uh, there's, there's a lot of distractions for me, you know, between being on more than one board. I didn't think that uh, it was going to take the amount of time that it did. You know, there have been several nights where, you know, I've had to take my entire chicken cutting board and everything that's on it and put it in the refrigerator because I've got a three-hour conference call I've got to jump on, mm-hmm. and, you know. And then, you know, you get off the conference call at, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and you know you've still got two hours more worth of trimming to do. So uh, that wears on you. But I hear a lot of people complaining about the judging. And I got to tell you that while I do think the judging is different, I don't think it's inconsistent. I turn out very consistent product. And I get very consistent bad scores in chicken and ribs, you know, this year as compared to how I've done in the past. I don't think it's the tables. I don't think it's the judges. I've actually, you know, and I hope I've had a few aha moments here within the last uh, couple of weeks. I've been, I started on some bad habits at the end of the year last year, and I continued those bad habits. When you go six or eight months without cooking and you get back in the game and you pick up where you left off, and you're tired and you're not paying attention to details because you got a lot of things going on. I've been taking things in the wrong direction, trying to push things too fast, too high, too hard. And I can't say that it's the judging that's doing it. If, if my suspicions are right and I've got an opportunity to make a change in my program that I think is for the better, I can't blame the judges on this. Not at all. I hear you on that. It has been a different kind of year this year and we'll see what happens next year. Hopefully everything will, we'll see some normalcy. You've had a lot of success. You've been doing this a long time, but you've also had a lot of success, particularly the past three, four years. What is the most surprising thing to come out of competition barbecue for you? I never thought that it was going to become my social circle, you know, with my friends, that it was going to potentially lead to another career, you know, as in something I was going to be interested in doing after I'm done uh, with my day job. Uh, I don't know how how long I'm going to stay in the computer field or how long the computer computer field is going to stay with me. I mean, I've been on the same contract for almost 20 years. That's almost unheard of in uh, the uh, business that I do. I love my job though. And you know, I'll tell you that the job does come first because it does pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got to you know, I keep that in mind. I've had opportunities to buy restaurants. I've had opportunities to partnership in restaurants and I've held off on those things because I want to, I want to continue to compete and I want to continue with my day job. At some point in time, I think that the restaurant industry, good, bad, or otherwise, uh, is going to play a much more important role in my life. That wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for competition barbecue and the support that I've got from the community and um, my sponsors, everyone, you know, from uh, my parents all the way down to my godkids. You know, they I seem to enjoy following my success and my failures and, you know, what I learn from and, you know, when I do something that I set out to accomplish when I meet my goals. I just never thought that it was going to become this much of an aspect of my life and my day-to-day routine. That's great. It's just great. The doors that barbecue has opened up for so many people 
that we didn't even know existed, you know, and that's. No, I mean, yeah. I've got friends from across the country that, you know, I talk to on a regular basis and talking about Mike Baston. I mean, you know, uh, if my phone's ringing at six or seven in the morning, it's going to be him because he's on his way to restaurant depot and he doesn't have anybody to talk to and he wants to see what I'm doing. <laughs> but I love it. I mean, I, you know, the friends that I've made, you know, all over the place, I mean, yourself included. So just um, the bond that uh, I share with those that like to cook and more than just like to cook that like to feed people. I don't know why you cook. I like to cook because I like to feed people and I like to give them something. When uh, when my God kids, when I see them go back for seconds or thirds on something, that just warms my heart in a way that I can't even express. Sharing an interest with like-minded people that aren't just doing it for the competition. They do it because they like feeding people and, you know, they've got that drive in them to, you know, always turn out something better and make something, you know, just a little unique, put your twist on it, and make it something that everyone can enjoy. Yeah, that's 100% why I cook. Just making people happy. Cooking people a good meal is showing how much you love them, in my opinion. So what is missing from competition barbecue these days? I don't want to offend anybody when I say this, because uh, I think this is going to be a little controversial. I think the social aspect has kind of dropped off a little bit. Now that uh, a lot of people are cooking hot and fast in the morning, they're staying in hotels, you know, they're showing up with their drums. Uh, they're not socializing in the evening. They're not staying up all night cooking and walking around and talking to each other and putting logs on the fire. They're setting up their trailer. They're getting their meat inspected. They're doing what they have to do. They go back to their trailer uh, or where dinner or whatever they're doing. And they come back in the morning at 6.30 or 5.30 or 6.30 and they crank out some fantastic barbecue. And once awards are done, they're gone. There's a, there's a big social uh, aspect of this, and what used to be everybody standing around their offsets or whatever cookers that they were using and cooking all night long and, you know, walking around sharing stories, sharing beverages and things like that. There's one opportunity that I'll never get again. That's uh, watching, uh, my timeline is similar to uh, Cool Smokes, and George Stone and I, you know, we'd both be lighting our uh, charcoal fires at the same time, and I'd go over and get a chance to talk to him for a little while in the morning and, you know, just catch up on, you know, whatever's going on briefly before we have to go back to what we're doing. For a long time, whether it was at the Jack or a local contest or even uh, at uh, King of the Smokers, I know it's two o'clock in the morning when I see George over there balling up his newspaper and putting him on. And I know if I'm up when George is up, it's going to be a good cook because I've already started the timeline when I'm supposed to. And unfortunately with his passing, I won't get that again. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, that's one of the things I personally miss. But uh, I think that if I talk to people that enjoyed barbecue in the past and, you know, think about when, you know, before you had a trailer and you were cooking out of tents and things like that, it was a much more social sport. And that's where a lot of these bonds got created. Uh, that's not happening these days, especially with COVID concerns. Definitely. I think some of the best competitions I've had in the past two to three years is when we, we've taken the pull behind pit and cooked out of a tent. And it's been great just to be out there and, you know, everyone's stopping by and seeing what you're doing. And once you get past people seeing what you're doing and, and removing all care about that, I think that's, <laughs> that's great. And it's, you know, you're just out there and people are like, hey, can I watch what you're doing? You're like, sure, that's, this is great. Let's, let's wrap, wrap some meat. Let's do it. Yeah. You know? And that's been one of our goals moving forward is to, to try and work on that social aspect as much as we can. 
So how, how do you go about setting goals for you and your team? This year's an exception because I feel like this year I'm doing nothing more than catching up. Before COVID hit and those uh, concerns came into play, my goal this year was to make things more simple. I've got a really bad habit uh, with my OCD and my friends will all tell you that I make things five times more complicated than I need to. If I go to a class, I'm going to pick up something and I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to add it to my program, but very seldom do I take anything out of my program to replace it. So if you look at some of my recipes and you see all the things that go in it, you can sit there and say, oh, well, he added that because of Travis Clark's class. And, oh, he added this because of Donnie Bray's class. And he's doing this because of this. Well, I don't need to be doing all those things. There are a lot of things that I could pull out of my program. And I got to tell you that my biggest, and, and, and here's a, if you look at my scores from this year uh, in brisket, my brisket scores started getting a little worse, a little worse, a little worse. And what I attribute that to is that I found a way that I can get more injection in my brisket. So where I was putting 18 ounces in a brisket that was trimmed to a certain size, I figured out how I could get 26 ounces of that in there. And man, I was pumping that thing up like a balloon. It was just amazing. But I guess what happened to my scores? they just started to tank as my brisket was cooking instead of it plumping up it would actually just imagine a pancake on a griddle and it's just kind of flowing out and getting flatter and flatter and flatter uh, that's what it was doing and uh, the texture was getting worse so i started backing off uh, how much injection i was putting in there because you know we all think that if a little is better more is even better right right yeah no that's not the case uh but Taking away, uh, and, and it's hard for me to choose what to take away, but that was my goal at the beginning of the year, is to scratch things that were not absolutely critical to my process and to do as little as I can to get the best product I can and make it simple for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, just peace of mind. It's a lot easier to keep track of a few moving parts as it is to keep track of a lot of things. Number two, uh, is, you know, I had a, a class scheduled at the end of this year at Royal Oaks headquarters before they got canceled. I don't want to be teaching something that's got a lot of moving parts. I want to be teaching a class that is very simple. Uh, your chicken program, very effective, very simple. Thinking about it in terms like that versus all the stupid little things I do for the stupid little reasons. I won't say stupid. I mean, some of them have uh, some, some merit behind it, but are they necessary? No, they're not. That was my goal for this year was to make things uh, more simple. Now with COVID and everything else going on, I'm just trying to get back on par with where I felt I was last year at this time. And you know, then I'll start concentrating on making things simple again. I tell people all the time, they're like, I don't know what, what's going on. I'm like, take some stuff away, man. Less yep. is more. Less is more. Less remove. is more. Never add, always remove. And you'll get back to the base and you'll be good to go. One of the things that happens a lot out there is the psychological warfare during barbecue competitions. How important is, is the art of, of the psychonautic competition or head games play into your, into your program? And I, I, I would have told you that, you know, I didn't think it was that big of a deal at all because, you know, maybe it's just because I'm in my little trailer and I'm in my own little world and I feel like I can focus on what I need to focus on. But I had something earlier happen this year and I'll talk about it here. I show up at a barbecue competition and my ex-girlfriend is there with somebody who I did not expect her to be with. I don't care who she dates. I don't care who he dates, but just the surprise and the shock and the awe of it completely threw me off my game. If that was their intent, then boom, kudos to them because, uh, you know, uh, it worked. I, I would have never thought that I would have act, knew I would have uh, reacted that way. But, you know, the bottom line is, is I let it get under my skin and I shouldn't have. 
So in terms of psychological warfare, yeah, uh, I'd have to say that I beat myself before I even lit my smoker that weekend. And those things are going to happen. You know, we all have distractions, uh, whether it be with, you know, things in our personal life, outside influences, things that have nothing to do with barbecue, that if you can't hang that stuff up outside your trailer door before you walk into your trailer and you start cooking. I'll give you a little example. This isn't exactly pertaining to this, but this is just one of the many humbling experiences that I've had from getting influences from Tuffy. I was really proud one time, you know, when I was doing competition after competition, you were set to do probably 32 or 35 that year. And uh, I told Tuffy, I said, man, I said, I've got things so dialed in. And at that particular time, we could just come off of a couple of consecutive GCs. And I said, um, you know, we're doing really well right now that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm preparing for the competition this weekend, but I'm already doing things and this and this and this for the competition for next weekend, because, you know, I'm planning ahead. That's how well we got it dialed in. And he looked at me and he goes, he goes, you know, and try to do it with the way that he inflects his voice. He goes, I think uh, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you're putting part of your effort into next week's competition and you're not doing everything you possibly can with everything you've got for this week's competition, you're leaving something on the table and uh, you're not giving this weekend's competition your all. When he put it like that, oh man, talking about humbling, and here I am bragging about how I'm you know, doing things for two weeks out. <laughs> and he's like, no, and he's like, you know, you've got limited resources. You need to focus everything you have on this weekend. Let next weekend take care of itself when you got time to focus on that. Uh, there have been a lot of moments like that where his little, you know, nuggets of advice uh, uh, not only have been humbling, uh, but have been absolutely spot on point. And that would be one of them if it pertains to this question that way. No, no, it does. It does. Well, let's go through some rapid fire questions here that I like to do at the end. And uh, this has been a great interview with a bunch of great information. And I know, I, I hope people take a lot from it. So what is one of your favorite pre, during, or post-competition meals? Uh, Mexican Friday night and uh, gas station or truck stop hot dogs on the way home. <laughs> That's fantastic. What do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you? Uh, people complaining uh, about the judging and not necessarily looking at what habits that they might have created for themselves that lead to their judging experiences. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions about you? Uh, that I'm a good cook uh, because I don't consider myself a good cook. I consider myself, uh, I'm learning too much. And, you know, I started out as a timeline follower and I know that there are a lot of people out there, just, I know this is a rapid fire question, no, no. but Justin, Justin from Smoke Monster this past weekend, first competition out of this year, and he gets a, what, a 704, 705 or something like that down in North Carolina, Paul Heath, uh, three in one queue. There are people out there that you can watch them that they might've only cooked 30 or 40 times, and they are doing things in a way uh, that might have taken me 120 competitions or 130 to learn how to do. Uh, so um, uh, I'm, I'm more process driven and I don't have that instinct. I see people and I recognize them that do have that instinct. Chris Shriver is one of those. You know, he's uh, uh, just got some natural talent that just kind of knows when things are right. And I wish I had that. Right on, right on. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, that would get a message out to millions or billions, what would it say and why? 
you have to come back to me on that one. I'm gonna have to think about that one for a bit. Um, <laughs> you want a billboard about barbecue? Doesn't have to be about, about barbecue. It can be about anything in the world. Oh, I'd have to look across with everything that's going on uh, in our world and our society right now. And the thing that just resonates to me is, you know, share the love. If something's good going on in your life, if there's somebody that's important to you, uh, don't focus on the bad things. Don't focus on the things that, uh, uh, that you think need to be done uh, for this world to be a better place. Appreciate the things that you have and the people that you have in your life that are great. Um, because, well, I'm trying to think of a one-word way to, uh, to uh, sum that up. Uh, but happiness is what you make of it. Uh, and if you make yourself happy uh, with the things that we are all blessed with in our life, then this world will be so much a better place. Yeah, I love that. Share the love. That is a good Share the love. That is a good one. That is a good one. Well, Charles, I want to thank you again for taking the time today to do this. There was a lot of great information in there, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks here. Uh, New Jersey, right? We'll see you up there. Yeah, back to New Jersey for another New Jersey humbling. <laughs> Woohoo! Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and to share it out with all your friends. Also, be sure to check out the Old Virginia Smoke YouTube channel as well. We will have a lot of new videos coming out in the next couple of weeks. We'll see you next week with Matt Walker from Boomerang Barbecue, who's been on absolute fire for three years in KCBS. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedanka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2020. Old Virginia Smoke.